Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Thanks very much for joining us on Second Captains at the Irish Times. Owen, Murph and Ken, all present and ready to go. Ahoy, ahoy. In preparation for our TV chat with Potter Carrington last night, I read an interview we did with Paul Kimmage last year in which the, the interview took place in Harrington's home, in his kitchen, and he had his three major trophies on display in various parts of the kitchen. He said an interesting thing about it. He said, I deliberately bring them up myself when I need to. I use it to lighten the load on me. These are the trophies and his victories. No doubt about that. It's something I said I wouldn't do. I said I'd wait until I retired before I would enjoy the wins, but I find I'm dipping into them now and taking stock of the fact that I won those events. Now, fortunately, Ken, Murph here has never had any qualms at all about reliving his glory days, mm. a quality that's going to come in handy today as we talk about footballers Murph used to play football with. If I had any trophies, on, they would be they would be, be on the display. We're, we're talking about Jeremy Connolly. Yep. Who I played uh, one golden summer with in uh, 2006. And Damien Varley. We're talking to Damien Varley. What's your yep. connection there? Well, I mean, basically, we're brothers, effectively. Well, that or I played football with his first cousins for a long, long number of years. He's Damien Varley. This is Damien Varley of Munster. He's from Milltown stock, or he has Milltown yeah, connections. Basically, a Milltown man. He has mothers <laughs> from Milltown. So uh, it is actually quite weird that a lot of Milltown supports Munster because, oh, sure, how could we support anyone else? You're Damien Varley. Like, well, yeah, Damien Varley. I mean, you know, he's mother's from Milltown. Let's not go nuts here. I mean, we didn't play an absolutely... When was the last time you saw Damien Varley having a pint in Malarkey's? I have. I don't think I've. I don't think I've ever seen him having a pint in Malarkey's. Is Malarkey's a, 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 an Irish theme pub in Milltown? <laughs> no, that's a surname. Yeah. That's his. That's oh, sorry. surname. It's not. It's not like it's called Shenanigans or something. Right, you know? Just getting no. all the American tourists in. Yeah. No. No. Malarkey. No. Malarkey's is a, it's a tremendous. I, I should mention, of course, Sheridan's. Vins, Glynns, uh, all of them there. Wrong. Well, no, just just Ryan. Can we talk seriously about Dermot Connolly for a second? Because uh, this is a guy who I've watched with, I've watched playing football with fascination, a, a mixture of fascination, uh, joy at times, and a lot of frustration in his earlier years. Yeah. Because I remember you played with him, and you were telling me how ridiculously amazing this guy was, and that was always it was it was always obvious how skillful what he could do. But it was tended to be in flashes for a long time, and maybe in more recent years we've seen him do it, uh, develop into really one of the consistent yeah. best. For well, how good was he when? When did you play with him? That was, was two thousand and six, right? So he was eight years ago. Now. Yeah, um, and he was just exceptional. He was just out of minor, and he played for the minor hurlers. And kind of the story around the around Vincent's time was: would he play hurling or football? Mm. Um, and 
when it came to the football, he was a guy who, for which everything in the game came so easy to him. And I kind of thought that maybe that might be the thing that stops him from getting to the very top because he could do everything so easily that there was no work in it for him. That mm. the idea of having to work to become a really good footballer, I would have thought was nearly alien to him because he could just do everything so easily. And I remember one playing one league game in particular, um, and he must have scored like a goal in eight points, goal in nine points, something all from play. And it was straight down the middle, half of his left foot, half of his right foot. And you could nearly see him on the field having to decide which foot he was going to kick the point with. And it was talent really that I hadn't actually ever seen before. And he was at that stage so good, so complete, so even like physically developed yeah. and complete at that time that he, he was a name that obviously I was going to be looking out for hugely over the coming years and all that. But at the same time, I did have doubts because there were like there were kind of temperament issues or not even so much that it was just not that single minded desire to become the best footballer you could be maybe I didn't see that but I think he's there now yeah he's certainly I mean there's the the display the last couple of years and what did he score in the All-Ireland two goals and five points two goals and five points it wasn't even that it was actually the the all round brilliance of his play the amount of brilliant passes the the way that he basically bossed the game from centre-half forward is a thing that uh it's one of the all-time great performances, Crow Park performances, I think. The reason we're going to be talking about him is just in the context of what he could do for Dublin this year. They're in the league semi-final against Cork. We're going to chat quite a lot about Cork today as well, because I know you have a bit of a fancy for them this season. And we'll be uh, chatting about the other semi-final, mm. league semi-final this weekend. Derry, Mayo, Derry yeah. and Mayo. So that's all coming up with Carl Mannion and Maliki Clerken in just a few minutes' time. Uh, it's pretty obvious what we're talking to Damien Varley about, I guess, after their win against Toulouse, looking ahead a little bit to the semi-final against Toulon. Just a final... Milton's Damien Varley, of course. Yeah, just a final point on that uh, Paul Kimmage interview with Patrick Harrington. It ends with Harrington making himself his second ice cream of the day, which he was, I say, making himself an ice cream can. Yeah. His wife, it's Caroline, bought him for either Christmas or birthday an ice cream machine. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's li- that I literally have never heard of a cooler, cooler gift being bought. What do you put into uh, it? Like, I don't know how it what's works. What's the input? Just milk, sugar... I wouldn't say too much good, healthy stuff. I, I don't think there's a, m- I don't think there's much nutritional value to an ice cream. Uh, but you feel good about yourself when you eat one. It's not about that. The really wafer good. might, the wa- ma- wafer might have some low was that, GI was that carbs. At the time when Porter Harrington was um, manipulating his weight. Oh yeah, that was. That, well, it could have been. He was. Uh, he, he was. He was eleven and a half stone at one point. I think he said. Um, but then about a year or so ago, he arrived at the start of the season, and a half fourteen stone. and a half or something, and. Only Padraig Harrington could, can explain that in the context of this is deliberate. Yeah. Uh, it's a part of whatever structural changes he wanted to make to his body. He likes to manipulate the variables. Yeah. You know, and uh, one of those variables is uh, bodily weight. And uh, I mean, I thought that was almost Christian Bale like that sort of weight <laughs> variation, you know? I think when De Niro had to pile on the pants for Raging Bull for the, you know, the final Jake Lamada scene. Mm-hmm. I think it was basically ice cream and lasagna. I think he actually moved to northern Italy for two months. That's actually what he did. I don't, I don't think Harrington quite went to those, those lens, but you'd say, it's a couple of stone variation. Yeah. We all have that. Ken, Manchester United. Suffering from one's heart. Manchester United. Oh. What about them? What about that sports team? Yeah. Uh, and their glorious leader, team. David Moyes. <laughs> not, not doing so good. Not doing so good, no. Um, yeah, look, you know, the, essentially season's now over. Uh, there was there was this sort of insane hope, or this fevered dream that gripped the brains of some Manchester United supporters that maybe, just maybe, through uh, this series of miracles, they could... Jimmy Traore, 
Jimmy Traore. Exactly. Jimmy Traore. Chelsea, you know, John Terry getting sent off at Barcelona when they're what, already, was it 2-0 down already at that point and Chelsea still managed to get through? Things can happen, you know, strange things can happen. And when Patrice Evra scored, honestly, one of the greatest goals I've ever seen, it, just one of the most perfect shots that nailed into the, I mean, Patrice Evra has never before hinted at the ability to do that. You know, there are some goals scored where he, he hit that uh, in the exact right area because it's directly behind the camera. Yeah. So it's aesthetic, so much more aesthetic. It's because he's left-footed as well. If he'd scored it from the other side. For instance, John Anarese's famous goal against Manchester United, which was a similar type of shot, but with the flight of the ball, as we're all watching it on TV, apart from the lucky few in the stadium. Mm-hmm. But uh, the flight of the ball sort of was just this uh, horizontal line on the screen yeah. rather than showing you exactly... Another left-footer. Another left-footer, uh, It's yeah. a theory of mine. I think people, Another I th- left-footer, left-back. I think people are more wowed by left-footed strikes. They, they stick in the mind a little bit more than a right-footer from long range. Steve well, Staunton got a great goal in uh, Old Trafford. Trafford. Try and think of one, one right-footer. Cristiano Ronaldo against Porto 2008. What was that, left-footer? 2009. Uh, that was a right-footed shot from 39 okay, so yards. Okay, so some good... Shots have been hit from distance into the goal by right footers. Ari Han against Italy, 1978. Bobby Charlton against we'll Mexico, just keep, 1966. <laughs> we'll just keep naming shots. Yeah, keep listing out long, long range efforts. But what, your point about Manchester United was um, just that hope is extinguished now for David Moyes. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, we'll be talking about this uh, in a bit more detail in, in our next show. But you know, uh, I really think at this point, I don't really see how how he could have failed anymore. Malachy Clerken of the Irish Times has popped down to us and Carol Mannion is also here. Guys, thanks for calling into studio. Uh, I might as well turn to the man who knows what it's like to achieve at club level and ask you about Dermot Connolly because it's something we've been talking about. Um, I don't know if there is any transference from club. I guess for certainly for younger players, maybe it can be a hindrance sometimes. If you're playing too much for your club, you might not actually get into your county side. But for somebody at Dermot Connolly's stage of his career, would his performances, particularly in that All-Ireland final, have fed into the confidence of a guy who seems to always thrive on that sort of thing. Yeah, certainly his confidence has to be at a massive level now. I don't think it's going to translate straight away into him playing at that level against inter-county teams, against inter-county defensive, certainly at the latter stages of the National League. But for him personally, like it must be just, like he must feel like he can do anything at the moment. And that is kind of showed there last Sunday when he kicked that last point against Tyrone. That's the player like who feels he can do anything on a football pitch at the moment. It wasn't even thinking of it, turned and pinged it off the outside of his right. So yeah, for his own confidence levels, yeah, massive. But when it comes up against uh, inter-county defenders, he's going to have a lot more difficulty and a lot more challenges. Like you see Lee Keegan there in that first game back last week in, in Crow Park. Uh, Lee Keegan and Connolly have had some great battles in the last couple of years and Keegan is well ma- a good match for him. So that's going to happen more and more from now. He's going against uh, inter-county defenders, which is obviously a different different alternative. Specifically in his case, I know a confidence player is one of the great cliches but if there is one in Gaelic football that you could pick out he'd probably be it because when he plays well he's, he's almost unstoppable and sometimes he can drift certainly maybe that, that was more true a couple of years ago than it is now what level do you think he's actually at now does he have the consistency yeah I think he's had more consistency in fairness the last year or two especially at the latter stages of last year's uh, All-Ireland attempt uh, the game against Kerry like uh, I suppose he, he did get man the match in the end but it's just his level of performance his maturity what he was doing on the ball, not just the score he got at the end or the scores he was setting up, just his maturity on the ball, never turned the ball over, was always there in the moments when Dublin needed him. And you could just see that his calmness for the rest of that forward line uh, throughout that game, It's I think he is moving to that level right now where his consistency is 
is very good and his performance level there is such a high level now right, that he has to be like up there now with the best forwards around I suppose it's a good sign Maliki if you're looking at it from a Dublin point of view what he did the way he managed to carry that responsibility for St Vincent's yeah. because there is a lot of responsibility on the, the star player when they're playing for their club in a match like that Yeah and it's funny because I was at a, a fair few of actually Vincent's uh, games in Dublin and in Leinster and uh, it was Mossy Quinn that was really, yeah. was really carrying them now in the first, I think I'm right in saying, in the first Dublin final, uh, Connolly dug them out. It was, was absolutely the man in the, in the second half of the drawn game. But he got sent off in the replay and Mossy Quinn got them through that, got them through the, the next two games where both Connolly and Jared Brennan, who had both got red cards, were, were both missing uh, and Mossy Quinn got them, got them through that. But I think, I think what you say about him, where he is at... At this point in his career, I mean, I, I think we should remember, like, at, at the end of last year, he was really unlucky not to get an all-star last year. Like, if you take it, people were were, were saying, like, who were there six better forwards? There actually weren't, because Sean Kavanagh took his all-star last year, because they kind of gerrymandered the thing, so that Sean Kavanagh didn't take a midfielder's all-star, he took a half-forward one. And that's where Connolly missed out last year. And yeah, it's always like, another conversation as well where the All Stars have gone. In sure, that but sense. it is. But but the whole point was that that in the All Ireland semi final last year he got man of the match. In the final he had a terrific final. He also had a terrific final in two thousand and eleven when he was you know uh, lucky enough to be there actually uh, after he got the off the red card. Yeah. yeah. So he he has definitely turned into a, a big game player, um, and. I thought it was really, really interesting to watch that. The one thing that you might never have really sort of expected him to be was the guy who, in the last five minutes, said, give me the ball. Yeah. And that's what he was last week. You know, and, and whether that's a carry-on... I don't know if, it, if it's a, a carry-on from the club thing or if it's just his the way he's kind of wired, you know, that, that he, he has this, this absolute confidence in himself that he that he 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 is able to do whatever funny. it is that that pops into a his couple head. of the matches that you mentioned there he didn't necessarily score heavily in yeah. and that's probably important for a player like that earlier in his career maybe he felt like well I should be going out with Dublin and banging over eight points from play every time you know I suppose it's in his head like now when he scores like the point he got in the last minute against uh Kerry Astor to put the four in it mm. When he sees himself now coming to the last five minutes of the game, he says, right, I've scored points and I've done major things in the last five minutes of big games beforehand. This is where I need to do something. So it happens like to a player when they do things like that towards the latter, latter stages of a game. The next time they're playing, it's in their head in the last five minutes. This is where I do my thing. And that's what he's doing now. He's just stepping up when he realises he has to step up. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, actually, that it becomes... Uh nearly a self-fulfilling prophecy you know with players that yeah. the, the more it happens the more likely it is that they're going to do it again um, and I think Connolly you know we say that he's a confidence player I, I think he has moved beyond that we're saying that that he has mm. actually moved beyond that but that's a big thing as well that uh, instead of being this the the sort of fragile genius on the edges of the Dublin team that he's the heart of it now and that it's not Bernard Brogan that they'll be looking to maybe this year that it will be German Connolly. That's maybe the level that we're, we're expecting from now, certainly after the last couple of, couple of weeks. The interesting thing when you think about Dublin through this league as well, though, is that they, they, kinda, they need him, you know, they, that they've had such a mix-and-match league that, you know, Paul Flynn hasn't really been back, if he's been back at all. Bernard Brogan hasn't been back at all. 
Ono Gara has uh, carried them in a, in a couple of games, getting late goals. Kevin McManaman has absolutely been the one for that has seen them through the league. Alan Brogan's showing signs. Alan Brogan, absolutely. Af- after he missed the first couple, but he, he is starting to show signs. Um, but they really need Connolly. Like, they really need a... So for all this all this stuff about Dublin's depth, you still need your star water too. I, I actually Marky think if you, if you... If we went into the league... And remember, remember the old fallacy about like the, the second best hurling team in the country was the Kilkenny oh, yeah, the yeah. Kilkenny bench. You know, there was a bit of that feeling kind of going in going into the league about, you know, the, the sort of the sixteen to thirty uh Dublin players. And and I think the league kinda held that up as you know, it's absolutely not as as much of a slam dunk as yes, absolutely they won their all Ireland with by winning games, by solving problems off the bench. Um I I don't know if they, if they're just as deep as we all assume that they are. Well, they're certainly not as deep to be at the level they were last year with yeah. the players on the bench. No, that's that's fairly that's fairly obvious. And it is the likes of Connolly and Bernard Brogan uh, that get them just to that next level because they have that X factor, they have that extra mm. quality that uh, the other players just don't have. Yeah, so like Dublin would be a, a good Division One team if those weren't playing, but mm. with them. They're all Ireland favourites. Is there any downside to club runs, Carl? Can you could a player like Dermot Connolly or the other Vincent guys potentially run out of steam later in the summer? Yeah, I think I've said this before. I think for the likes of Dublin, I don't think the club run has that much of an effect on the Dublin panel. They're they're so strong outside of the, the, the Vincent players that were involved, uh, and then they're such a mature team that I think the panel wouldn't really be hit as much as other counties. So they could rest those players when, when necessary, as opposed to say the likes of Roscommon with your, yourself. You're yeah. definitely going to be playing those games. Yeah. So like for Roscommon over the years, we like we were we were kind of building, always trying to rebuild, like and you know get up to a level, and like you needed your full panel to develop, uh, and we weren't a mature panel, so that's the reason why Roscommon were hindered with the bridges lads away. But no, for the likes of Dublin now, and when Cork are going well, and uh, the Nemo lads are involved, when they have the strong panels, the absence of the the good club players doesn't really affect those fans as much if it has a bad effect on anyone it has a bad effect on the actual players themselves Mm. because somebody like say Bally Munn went to the the club final last year Philly McMahon didn't start a game for Dublin in the championship until the All-Ireland final you know, it is just you. Yeah. Once once you're out, I think Cross McLean have had that issue in more recent yeah. years. Once a really players, once yeah. a really good team gets a, on a good run, it's very hard it's, to find your way in. And it's yeah. only the established player Absolutely. that has played previously with yeah. Dublin or with <laughs> yeah. Armad that's definitely only playing. So for the likes yeah. of uh, some of the Ballymun lads like Davy Byrne now and Philly Man, as you and mentioned, Dean Rock just, and all those yeah. guys that that stayed on the fringes all the way through the summer because they didn't have mm. those six games in the league to establish themselves. Yeah, it's, I think it's kind of interesting as well that. Um, you know, if if they're not, if they're not the centerpiece of the entire panel, then a club run is actually brilliant for Dublin football. Like what Vince did there is mm. perfect. But if you're taking out the heart and soul, as you say, trying to build a team uh, and build a team around you know the established successful club side, and those players aren't actually there for January, February, March, that's when it's probably a much bigger deal than than Jim Connolly maybe running out of steam. Yep. in September or in August or September this year I don't think it's going to happen We touched on when Cork go well and when Nemo go well Cork going pretty well so far this year Malik you've been at a, at a few of their games mm. and I know you've been impressed Yeah they are certainly uh, they. you could definitely say they're the team that have got the most out of the league uh, whether they've been the best team or not well I guess Derry have got an awful lot out of it as well um, but they have been um, yeah they're an interesting watch you know they have uh for a team that that over the winter, I think lost, I guess six first teamers more or less. Yeah, you know, I would say so, yeah. Um, 
they have sort of regenerated kind of pretty seamlessly with their new manager uh, Brian Cuthbert. Um, they they're they've changed the way they play. Like the the sort of the over and back, the lateral hand passing is gone. You know they get the ball into to their inside forwards very quickly. They've done a great job getting Colm O'Neill back. Like he he hasn't played a full game yet, but he's played. I think at least twenty minutes in four games at least, and maybe five. And I th- I was counting it the other day. I think in three of those games he scored either a goal or a point with his first touch. Like he has scored he has scored two nine in a hundred and forty minutes of play. That's, that's pretty good off the bench uh, yeah. coming back from a from his third cruciate. Yeah. Um, their inside forward line for the summer is is gonna be pretty. You know. Not, not many inside forward lines are going to be better than Daniel Goulding in one corner, Colm O'Neill in the other corner, and Brian Hurley at full forward. Mm. And then beyond that, they have Paul Kerrigan, Paddy Kelly, uh, Mark Collins from Castlehaven. And then they, that's without mentioning Donoco, O'Connor, Barry O'Driscoll, Colm O'Driscoll. They have at about 10 forwards for six inside positions. They were playing Paddy Kelly actually as centre-back the well, other Well that's day. interesting because I remember when th- those players were retiring or leaving last mm. year I, I, I was having a conversation with Murph about it and just thought how can a team survive? You're kind of having the heart ripped out mm. of you there but you did make the point Murph at the time that well you know the, the team was probably going stale anyway it uh, looked like they'd run out of ideas the manager was leaving so it was probably no harm uh, not, yeah. you don't necessarily want to lose that many players in Listen, one go but you do want to get other guys in. It's, it's terrible news unless you happen to have really really good young players yeah. who didn't feel like it was their team you know that, that's the point we saw we've yeah. seen a lot of those names those names have been hanging around Cork football for yeah. the last two or three years uh, and you'd know them but they have they didn't make the step they mm. for whatever reason it was Conor Coonan's team and if Coonan was in charge then it was Graham Canty's team on the field with Miskala and Noel O'Leary they were the leaders the big big mm-hmm. names in the in the team now with a new manager it really is just, you know, Cuthbert has handed the reins over to these this group of young yeah. players. And th- as a result, the transition, which could have been, it could have taken two or three years, maybe under in, in different circumstances to get those players out and get new players in. With a new manager, it's actually happened in the course of two or three months. Yeah, I think the slow, methodical play that Cork would have had with those players in the team it didn't suit a lot of the younger mm-hmm. players now who are obviously the speed they have, the strength they have. They don't want to be playing in a team where the, the, the style is methodical and slow. So that's why I think like Cuthbert has been very good for Cork because he's going to have a style of play. And as you've seen it throughout the league, the way they've played, how quickly they're getting the ball into the forwards. That's going to suit all the young lads and all the, this, this bunch of players now. And it wouldn't have suited, I think, the old players. I think that's why they're maybe moved aside. So, yeah, no, I think it, good coaches in the GEA. You saw with Jim Gavin, the way he changed the Dublin's play last year. Jim McGuinness the year before. They got a style of play that suited the panel of players they had. I think that's what Cuthbert's going to do. I don't think Coonan would have done that. Is it also easier for a manager to come in and impress younger players? Would the older guys demand more? Could it, could it have been harder if you had seven or eight senior guys like that still there for the new guy to come in? Is that, is that part of the thinking at all? Now? Well, I would think that if Cuthbert had come in and tried to play this style of play, it would have been a massive sea change for some of those older players. So they mightn't have taken to it straight away. But for the younger lads who like to play with the fast ball and the quick ball into the forwards, like, 
they're going to love that style of play and if the manager is implementing that like and it's getting the best out of those forwards then yeah everyone's going to be happy to see it I actually I spent an hour with Brian Cuthbert yesterday for an interview that, that'll be in uh, the paper on Saturday um, and one of the things that that uh, I found was, was interesting with him was you know if you look at say the team that played Kerry last year five I think five of the team that started were in his minor team that got to the All-Ireland in 2010. So you're talking about Brian Hurley, you're talking about uh, one of the... They have two guys called Thomas Clancy, so one's Tomas and one's Tom. Okay. <laughs> They're actually listed in, in the papers as T. Clancy for my and T. Clancy Clonacilty. <laughs> uh, but one of them was in his minor team and he know and Damien Cahillan and he knows them going back to then and they, they know him since then and he was a selector last year as well. So, but the interesting thing that he was saying about some of the older players was, was that he was, because he was with them last year and he didn't really know an awful lot of them because it was his what he did one year as a selector under Cunan. But that while he was, uh, while, while the sort of, he was always going to change the system when he took over. He was always going to change the style of play. That he was really delighted that a lot of the younger players got a year of being around Graham Canty and of being around Noel O'Leary and John Miskell and all, all these yeah. guys and Alan O'Connor and all these guys to just see what professionalism is, to see what the standards are. Whatever about the style of play, whatever about your your sort of physical ability as a 22-year-old as compared to theirs as a 34-year-old, obviously you have the jump on them there. But the experience that those guys had and also of of being a Cork footballer uh, you know, which is, you know, you're going to contend each year. You're not necessarily going to get a whole lot of love for it in Cork. Yeah, it's strange. You're, and, and, how to, and how to build a group, you know, how to get everybody together. And, you know, it's kind of us against the world. How did you, without giving away everything in your article, Malik, how did you find Cuthbert impressed by him? Really impressed by him now, I've got to say. You know, he's a young guy. He's, he's 38. He's a school principal uh, in Bishopstown. Um, he he was a really kind of humble guy, really inter- interesting, has really interesting sort of thoughts about managing and sports psychology and how to, uh, you know, how to build a group together and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I really, I, I really enjoy chatting to him now. Uh, there is one thing going into the two semi-finals this weekend, though, um, and that is that Cork are bringing this huge momentum to come up to Crow Park to play Dublin. Uh, and they've beaten Dublin already once in mm. Crow Park, so maybe it's a big ask to ask them to do it again. Is there an element of they they go into that game, Derry go into a game against Mayo, where it can all be punctured after a really really good February March and even into April? That then the last game you play before a championship can be a bit of a downer. Well, didn't Mayo have a what game did they lose? It was a league final a couple of years yeah. ago, and that's exactly what everyone said. Oh no, Mayo again! And you're thinking, was it even worth getting into it? I, I, to a be honest, fight? I don't think so. No. Uh, I, I kind of see the semi-finals. Uh, maybe the I'm wrong. Bonus territory. Maybe? A little bit of that. Uh, I mean, I think both. Certainly, those two teams have got what they want from the league. Now, I, I think that they, <laughs> in a weird kind of way, um, I think Cuthbert wouldn't really particularly mind getting beaten. Fair enough, they get beat by 12 points or something yeah. like that. That wouldn't be great. There's a sort of a bubble kind of building there and, uh, you know, it's three months until they play Kerry in the Munster final, assuming both teams get there. It might do them any harm to kind of, you know, get taken down. Yeah, and I don't think that uh, a 
like a league title would be like the Brom or is what Cutler really really wants. Like I don't know if mm. losing at this stage is something that would affect the Cork team in a negative way. They've won league titles recently. They've won the All Ireland recently. To a lot of them players have played. At Maybe this, for Derry, who gets Mayo. The they're the one who could really do winning. Yeah, Derry are building now. It looks like they have a really really good team coming. So I think a big loss to Mayo would affect them a lot more than a big loss for any of the other three teams but I doubt it's going to happen to them. I'm not too sure about that either to be, to be honest and, and, and I purely only say that because of what the Ulster Championship is this year like the Ulster Championship I know we, we say it every year it's is kind of a bear <laughs> oh, but, but, but particularly no, this year like any one of six teams year. can win it this year um, and they have Donegal in the first game at the, I think it's the 25th of May that I, uh, that is what is in their mind I, I don't know that Mayo, they enter their thinking this week, but it's not as if, say, so if Cork get beaten by Dublin by 10 points, that'll hurt them kind of down the road if they meet them in August or September or something like that. August or September is so far away from mm. the Ulster teams that, you know, how they would react to playing Mayo again, just, I don't know, it, it just wouldn't enter their thinking at all, you know? Yeah, I think that the fact that Derry, they haven't been at this level in True. a couple of years, that those players individually like if they were to suffer uh, a defeat on Sunday and some of them personally to go through uh, the game maybe not mm. getting on the ball mm. getting getting taken to the cleaners by their marker you just don't know how that would affect them individually sure. and that's why I maybe think that Cork would have a bit more maturity to back up a bad loss for I don't know I wouldn't be so certain about Derry like obviously Mark Lynch has been just amazing mm. in this league he's shown that in flashes over the years but mm. he hasn't shown it consistently mm. so for example, he's been scoring ridiculous amount of scores in each game. Mm. But if he went out on Sunday and only scored two, three points from freeze and nothing yeah. from play, he might doubts might yeah. go in his mind. You just don't know how it would react. And then all of a sudden he has Donegal to contend to win the first round of the championship and Carl Lacey or one yeah. of the McGee's on him. And then yeah, and then uh, what happened in February and March is ten years ago. It yeah. might as well be the Mark Lynch, you know. Yeah, it's I think, an interesting I think weighing it up though, I think Derry are gonna put in a really good performance on Sunday. I think they could win the game and I think they are gonna have a good summer. I just think that's something that you kinda of have to like be accountable. The team. quirk of the fixture list has Derry Mayo playing uh, after playing last weekend and Derry putting out a, a weaker team. I don't know there, uh, there were some people carping about this. I don't is there anything that can be done about that? It just seems like they happen to be playing each other in the last week and then they play each other. Yeah I think just like the way the league has panned out the uh, there's been breaks uh, two or three weeks here and there like and obviously in the last couple of weeks it's been every week Week, so like he obviously just felt the players just needed a, a little break. I think Brian well, was fair enough he, for people who weren't. I think he, he's he the played a completely weakened team. I think only one player survived from the previous week, for example. Yeah, he's the best person to make that call. He sees how they're going in training. He sees how they're going in their games. He he knows how how uh, how tired they are if they're tired at all, and he he knows how best to prepare. Them. Yeah, and I mean I think the team that lost out were Tyrone, and Tyrone had a chance. If, I mean it was in their own. Hands anyway. If Tyrone had beaten Dublin, they were through to the mm. uh, to the semi final. So I mean, I, I I don't think it's a it's a major. Yeah, and as Maliki says, like he's a big Ulster championship, up with hopefully a lot of games for Derry. So yep. no harm that they have one week off. In the All right, game. who's going to be in the league final this year, Maliki? Oh God, uh, I thought that was the easiest question. Uh, <laughs> Surely you expected this question, Maliki. <laughs> um, Mayo and yeah, the I'll say the Dubs because they have they have God they really. Um, started digging things out. They don't get beaten in a close game. So, yeah, which uh, is it's, it's a pretty strong sign. Really admirable thing about <laughs> them. Like to add to all the other admirable things about them. Yeah, the, the admirable thing about them about digging things out late last year in the All Ireland semi final. That the way mm. they dug that game out was just unbelievable. Like every person in the country, even mm. from Dublin, had to love them for that. And I, that's I, I actually on Sunday. Th- Cork are coming. I think it'll be Cork and uh, Cork and Mayo. Cork and Mayo. Yeah, and it's weird. Like we were talking about it just in relation to Connolly, but as a team in general. To have that ability now that yeah. you did it in an Ireland semi-final, mm. 
you know, it, 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 again, it just grows and grows. Perhaps the lads have given. I told you we finish on predictions. Okay? <laughs> we have to Sorry. let you go. Maliki, thanks so much, Carl. Thank you. All right. Do you have a problem? Shane with the kick out. The 42 year old goalkeeper. Turn it out from goal. Here he comes. He tucked it. He fought it. He's 50 yards out from goal. What a game for us, coming. All the mother niggas lame, and you know it now. When the real nigga hold you down, you're supposed to drown. 1944 is the last time I've seen your come out of here. And the one, 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 the last one. Bam. Just to go back to the Jim Connolly point there, really good insights there from the two boys. And Connolly, I think Carol was too polite to highlight his own. All yeah. heroics there. I, I hinted at them, but I didn't want to embarrass him by telling him that he was as good as Dermot Connolly the year before. Yeah, it, in fairness, it, it does kind of bear uh, repeating that Caramanian scored 1-2 from centre field uh, and dragged St. Bridget's from a position where they were, what, I think six or seven, maybe even eight points down after about 10 or 12 minutes of, la- of 20, the 2013 club final between Bridget's and uh, Ballymun Kickhams. And Carroll was absolutely unbelievably brilliant that day. Um, but I mean, you know, we're not going to embarrass the guy. No, you know, we shouldn't mention. It was that. an interesting point that he made that it, it was a bit different for him and his Bridget's teammates in that they were always going to be required at all times when yeah. they weren't in the club. Uh, as soon as you're back, you're back, and that's it. Because it's always in a county like Roscommon, you, you always feel you have to develop. There's always more that can be done. Whereas in Dublin, well, certainly now it's possible to win in All Ireland and and just ease Jeremy Connolly back into it for the next yeah. little while. And there is kind of the idea as well that Roscommon are waiting for or have been in the past, waiting for the Bridgets lads to come back, that the season kind of, it can't start without the Bridgets guys because they're so vital to everything that they do. Something that we didn't actually, something we might talk to Carl about again, is maybe also how a player feels in a county like Roscommon when the club has done so well. And looking from the outside, you're thinking, well, why can't the county do well? And the players who are involved for for Bridgets and for Roscommon might almost feel a duty to, to be seen to be uh, performing for the county as well as they have done for the mm-hmm. club. It's another it's a point that we could raise at some stage in the future. Ken, what's coming up in the near future? Second cap of football. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say to you, folks, not say to you now. What are you doing down here, you showing me, man? Well, Owen, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk a little bit about the end of Manchester United's season and where they go from there. And we're going to talk also about Atletico Madrid's defeat of Barcelona. Um, I mean, Barcelona are in such a bad situation now. Uh, the president's gone, the manager's going to be gone shortly, team is in complete disarray, and they can't even sign anyone this summer because they're banned from the transfer market, at least as it stands, by, you know, pending their appeal, which will no doubt, um, <laughs> you know, be pretty uh, plaintive. So um, an interesting setup there. We'll, we'll talk a little bit also about a new book uh, about Jose Mourinho, which has, well, it's not exactly new. It's a book that was published in Spain a while ago, but the English translation has been published today. And uh, let's say this is a new type of portrayal of Jose Mourinho in the English language. I haven't seen your eyes light up while reading a book, Ken, quite this way since Henningberg. Oh, Henningberg. his autobiography a few years ago. Well, well Henning, Henningberg's was, was a reflective, a ruminative read. 
you know, with lots of little uh, vignettes on uh, on people like Graham Souness and Alex Ferguson. You know, Graham Souness. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking what, about Eddie Burke. This is my fault. What a lovely it's, man. This one's on you, Ord. I mean, Souness is a great, a great guy, a great pundit. You know, and a, and a lovely man. You know, he he came over uh, once and did a did a show with us three years ago, I think, in Dublin. And yeah. a lovely man. Didn't stay around for too long. No, the swilling beer afterwards. He he uh, more power to him. Made his excuses and uh, and left immediately after the show. He came. He rocked our worlds. And he left. Uh, Kenneth, what happened? Uh, a lovely man, but uh, you know, as manager of Blackburn. Uh, sometimes prone to flashes of temper. <laughs> Turned out, oh, it's Hedingberg. He, Hedingberg. Am I? Am I seriously doing this? <laughs> I, I'm kind of a jock myself, to be honest. Hedingberg started, you know, saying, "Suey, you know, Suna said we're going to play three at the back." You know, Berg saying, "No, this is insane. We need to play four. We must play four. And then they let in a goal, and Henning runs to the uh, bench, or runs to the, you know, four, holding up four fingers. They let in another goal, and he runs to the bench again, holding up four fingers. You know. So he comes in at halftime. Do you think soon it's like that? Don't think he did. Uh, well, he ended up losing his squad. He was given a, a, a you know a new squad number suddenly. You know, number four hundred thirty-eight or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, uh, and he's like, well, hang on a second. I'm you know I'm, I can't remember what his squad number was. I'm number five. You know what what happened to my number five? And soon he's like, oh, you know, it's just a number. You know, don't think anything of it, Henning. Just because you're number four hundred thirty-eight now, it doesn't mean that you've been in some way demoted. I mean, I don't pay any attention to numbers, and. Uh, Berg just writes him like Graham Souness was number eleven at Middlesbrough. He was number eleven at Liverpool. He was number eleven for Centauri. He was number eleven for Scotland. Graham Souness was always number eleven. End uh, end section. Uh, well, we're not going to talk anymore about Henning Berg's book yeah. in the next in the second Cup's football show, but we will talk about this new Jose Mourinho tome. Uh, who Diego Costa is? Diego James Torres. Okay. Diego Costa. Diego Costa. The... Diego Costa wrote a, a book about that would be Mourinho. amazing. Probably read it. I that would go straight it. to the top of the list. Munster season continues against Glasgow this weekend, but the excitement's building ahead of the trip to Marseille to play Toulon in a couple of weeks in the Heineken Cup semi-final. Damien Varley, Munster's hooker, joins us now. Damien, what has the week been like since the win over Toulouse? Does a win like that have everyone bouncing into training? Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't say bouncing because it kind of took a lot, an awful lot out of us. But um, yeah, certainly spirits were very high after the game. Um, it's probably the first game where we probably really happy with how we played um, without, you know, kind of dragging our way through the game. I think we put in some great, uh, some good spells of a good performance that we've been trying to do. So, I mean, that coupled with the win and uh, another chance at, at the European competition, is it's um, it's fantastic and, and great to arrive in on a Monday morning after looking back on it. I guess after a game like that, any team just wants to bottle whatever it was that, that produced that performance so they can do it again uh, week after week. I know Paul O'Connell mentioned fear playing a part and maybe that was on the back of losing the game to Leinster. Is that something, you personally, did you did you have a fear that if you played at the, if the team played at the same standard as they had against Leinster, you were going out of Europe last weekend? Well, I think we were probably very disappointed with certain aspects of uh, the Leinster performance. And because the Heineken Cup means so much to us, um, there is a kind of a fear element um, that you you know you don't you don't want to let your teammates down, you don't want to let your supporters, your family down, and I think um, that plays an awful uh, huge part of, of uh, the Munster tradition, and and particularly with the European competition, um, in facing a game, particularly against Toulouse, um, you know, a very formidable side in France, and and they're you know giants of Europe for the last number of years. So there has to be a, an element of fear in it, all right. You captain the team against Leinster, Damien. Is, is is this something that you've 
always been comfortable with because I guess when you look at the Munster team, everyone talks about the sort of leaders that have been lost over the last few years and I guess Ron O'Gara was the latest of them last season. Have you made a, a conscious decision at any stage that I'm a leader now? Is that, is that the way it works in, in this kind of thing? No, I don't think so. It's never a conscious decision. Um, you know, I think there's there's a, a good group of leaders in the Munster squad who kind of strive to set huge standards and uh, push people on. Um, and, you know, uh, captaining it is obviously a huge honour, but it's, it's it's made easier by the fact that there are so many, so many other guys around you helping and, you know, it's it's kind of group decisions. So from that point of fact, it's, it's probably never something I strove to, to do, but uh, it's a great honour in doing so. Do you approach it differently? I know some people have, uh, 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 Captain Paul O'Connell himself might have talked about this before, but certainly some guys who start captaining teams feel they almost overdo it. Maybe they, they think they have to say more than they usually do when actually the, the, what, what, the, what has got you to be the captain in the first place is just going out and leading and performing on the field. Yeah, exactly. I think, uh, you know, you look back on, the, on some of the greatest captains, um, you know, in Munster, Ireland, um, it, it's all about example. Um, and I think rugby is, is a game where you can't overspeak it and you have to kind of prove that you're willing to do um, hard work and graft um, so others can follow you. Um, so it's never really about speaking or motivating. Um, I think when you're playing at that level, um, everyone is self-motivated uh, to achieve, you know, a common goal. Um, so, particularly for Munster, in my experience, it's always been about hard work and example, um, and that's been a huge ethos uh, for Munster over the last, um, you know, twenty years. Rob Penny has come in and tried to tap into that ethos while a lot of publicity has surrounded the kind of game plan that he's brought in. Is it strange as a player that it seems as though now? Everything's coming together. Uh, the the I guess that ethos that you talk about, and also what Penny has tried to do. It's certainly in the Toulouse game, it seemed like a team that really knew what the plan was and were able to execute it. Is it, is it strange in a way that that really you're getting on top of it now, just as Penny is on the way out the door? Uh, not really. I mean, you know, we've always kind of understood the game plan. Um, I know probably last season more so, uh, we got an awful lot of criticism about the way we were trying to play. Um, I think. The way we finished up last season, you know, it's obviously very disappointing. We made it a bigger point this year to uh, probably know our roles and kind of couple it with Munster Graft um, up front. Uh, I think that's kind of what's getting us through. And uh, probably the fear of facing a team like Toulouse and uh, at a, a knockout stage um, probably was the catalyst of putting in a, in a huge performance at the weekend. So. You know, I think there's still an awful lot of Montserratos uh, from the generations before us, driven from the guys, you know, some of them have only retired in the last number of years, who have pushed us to strive for higher standards, um, which, you know, it's all about kind of work ethic um, and, and playing at an intensity and a physicality that other people don't want to to match you there. So um, I think that's probably um, what, what made us so good against Toulouse. Can it be difficult um, when you're, with a team like Munster, we've touched on the players that were there, the ethos that has been there. I guess it can, you don't want to be hearing too much about the team of 06 or the teams that were striving for European glory in the earlier part of that decade. You, clearly, you would want to make your own mark and all the players there want to make their own mark. Is it? Are you comfortable with kind of the idea of being compared to the previous Munster teams? 
Um, well, I think it's probably just a fact of, of life that uh, you're going to be compared to the people before you. And likewise, uh, you know, please God, if we go on and achieve certain uh, trophies in rugby, uh, future teams will be compared to us. And, and, and that's probably just the knock-on effect that life has. Um, you know, you, you have to be, there has to be some standard bearer. And the guys that have retired, that have achieved so much at Munster over probably a 13, 14, 15-year period. Um, you know, it's humbling enough that you'd be associated with those type of guys. And at the same point, you don't want to focus on it too much mm. because you need to focus on, on making your own stamp. Um, so you kind of have to have a, kind of a balance of respect uh, between those who've gone before you and what you want to achieve and how you will achieve it. Yeah, it strikes me that the when you see the former players in the media... I, I, it does seem that there's goodwill there. I don't know if you sense it as a player, but it, 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 once you've played for Munster for quite a long time, it does seem that everybody, it's not as though the players are constantly, and this can happen with sports teams elsewhere, that they're constantly getting knocked by the guys who talk about the glory days. I don't know if that, that really exists in Munster. I think everyone, if past and present, does generally row in the in the same direction. Yeah, I think so. Um, and, you know, from my experience with Munster, um, you know, we all say it, it's a very special place and a very special team to play for. And I think whether you retire um, after a career or retire sooner than you'd like, um, you know, there is an awful lot of goodwill and, and continuous support um, for whatever team is playing. The game against Toulon, I'm sure, uh, is, is already on your on your mind and there are Rabo games to play, obviously, starting with Glasgow. I don't know how much you can tell us about what you thought of Toulon uh, in their performance against Leinster because they, they looked frightening but I guess if you had a fear against Toulouse you'll, you'll be able to carry that in and there, there shouldn't be a problem in kind of the, the psyche going into this Toulon game because it's backs against the wall stuff Yeah, I think the, the fear probably is a continuous thing um, you know, as you move along this competition your opponents get bigger, they get tougher the games get faster, more physical so there's always going to be that fear, um, and you know Toulon are a huge side. Um, it's it's probably one of my biggest recollections is playing Toulon down there um, five years ago, and it was uh, it was a very disappointing game for us because they tore us asunder mm. um, up front and around the field in general. So you know they're 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 an unbelievable team, having won it last year, and and their performances to date. Um, are very consistent. So obviously, we, there's a lot of work that we need to do over the next over the three weeks leading into it. And uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of analysis and um, a lot a lot to think about on how we could beat them and how we're going to try and match them. Um, but without doubt, they're an extremely physical, fast side. Uh, at this stage, I think most people know that you're a trained tenor, Damien. Uh, Ken Early here, our co-presenter, fancies himself as a bit of a club singer. I think you can check out his version of uh, Wuthering Heights by Kate Bush on YouTube if you like. Is oh, there any? Uh, I'll be doing that momentarily. Is there uh, <laughs> is there any advice that you'd uh, you'd like to pass on to him? You know, just to see if he can further this, that part of his career. Well, well, anyone willing to put up uh, a rendition of, of Kate Bush on YouTube? I think I need to get advice from him. It's a technically uh, difficult uh, song. It's a very difficult song. It's a very difficult song. Uh, Paulie was often trying to get me to sing it, but uh, <laughs> I, never, I, never, I never really had the battle to do it. So my hat's off to you for posting it up there. <laughs> Listen, I actually, I didn't post it. Isn't That was somebody else. It is up there. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Damien, thanks so much for talking to us. And best of luck over the next few weeks as well. Great to chat Thank to you. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, there you go, Ken. No technical advice from Damien, but a hell of a lot of respect for taking on such a difficult 
Mm. So. Yeah. Uh, that's the, that's pretty much the literal meaning of the words that he said, sure. <laughs> yeah, if you want to just take about his word, <laughs> that's exactly what he meant. Pretty interesting position for those Munster players in terms of what we talked about there, living up to the past. Damien is 30, so he's been around for quite a long time, but only really fully established more recently. And it, there is a sense, it's probably the same with Leinster, I think, that the former players do want them to do well as opposed to hammering them. You see sometimes with the Welsh rugby team and it doesn't go well, a lot of the former players give pretty forthright opinions about what's wrong with the current team and there's probably nothing that a player likes hearing less than a former player talking about the glory days. Does yeah. it happen in football much? I think it happens a good bit. Um, I think you've certainly seen a good bit of it at Liverpool over the last 20 years or so. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's true that a lot of them are... Uh, remain fervent supporters of the club. Your John Aldridge's, your Phil Thompson's. Yeah, you know, that's... Bye bye finger! Maybe in the Benitez time, which in retrospect looks more successful. uh, I think uh, there was a lot of them reading. He did get hammered quite a lot by that. Who they certainly used to complain all the time about the, oh, every time I turn on the television and radio, there's a former Liverpool player slagging us off. And they all loathed him as well. So, I don't know, you you see it happen a little bit. Usually the greater the history, the more... um, uh, outspoken the legends of yeah. the past quite a few people have been tweeting me over the last 24 hours or so about the ultimate warrior who has sadly passed away hours mm. after being bizarre stuff really hours after being inducted into the hall of fame he gave a speech in the ring during one of the big wrestling events and they at the end of the I don't know if you call it a speech it was um, what you might expect a, a wrestler to talk about but at the end of it they played his ring music and he shook the ropes this was his signature move Yeah, uh, <laughs> he was the most technical wrestler of all time Earth, this ah, his signature move time. but uh, the, I, honestly the music as soon as it played it's this dramatic w, old mm. WWF style stuff immediately trans- you know the way you, you hear certain things and you transport you back I was Briefly there, Murph, I was a 12-year-old boy cheering mm. him on against Rubbing Hulk your... Hogan. See, Hulk Hogan, Murph, was a... I know you, people like yourself that wouldn't be as, as tuned in to wrestling the night yeah. as me would think, surely every kid had Hulk Hogan as their favourite wrestler. Wrong. He was all about... He was essentially an establishment figure. The less and, you knew about wrestling, the more likely that Hulk Hogan I've got to be honest, Hulk, Hulk Hogan freaked me out a little bit, Murph. He was too yeah. preachy. He talked about his Hulkamaniacs, yeah. as he called his fans. The Hulk of vitamins he used to take. Yeah. Hulk God, of vitamins. God knows. I'll, leave, I'll leave that there. God knows. Uh, but the Ultimate Warrior, no, he was, he was what he was more of the underdog made the wrestlers wrestler, the wrestlers wrestler. Yeah, listen, well, yeah, listen, uh, sleep well, Ultimate Warrior. Have a read of Matty Clerkin's interview when it comes out with Brian Cudbert at the weekend. Sounds like he was very impressed by the Cork manager that will be in the Irish Times on Saturday. Listen to Second Captain's football. I'm going to stop ordering you what to do here at this point. If you would like to spend some time Tidy listening to Second room. Captain's football, uh, it should be really good because we're going to talk about that uh, new book and Jose Mourinho and also there's a lot to get our teeth into with regards to Manchester United. So have a listen if you can, if you have the time, if you have the inclination. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks very much, Thank Ken. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks for listening. Take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.